Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Engage. Engage. Kirk Enterprise, Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Janeway. Captain Sisko. Photon torpedoes, fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Whoa! Listen to that excitement! Excellent! Another edition of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, has begun! We are zooming through warp speed, and we have a big show today. We don't have any time to waste. Brian, do we have any time to waste? No, we don't. We have no time to waste. we got to get right into it. We have a special guest. He's here right now. I Can, can I beam him in later? Yeah, sure. Okay, because I got to be honest with you, we're on deck forty-four, but we're in the ba- we're in the battle bridge today. There was a turnabout intruder there, in the in the in deck forty-four. There was um, we got bumped out of our normal recording room because somebody else was going late, and um, rather than wait around with our thumbs up our rear end, we said we'll record it in a separate room. So we're in the kitchen. Here we're in the kitchen, just in the corner with a couple of microphones. No, I'm joking, but uh, we're we're on the battle bridge. So let me hit the button, and in, through the magic of post production, we're going to beam him in. I'm hitting the button now. Boop. And there he is, right in front of me. Everyone, please applaud. Matt Singer is here today. Matt Singer, the editor in chief of ScreenCrush.com. I was already talking, though, so I I might have destroyed the uh, illusion that you beamed me in here. Yeah, we're also recording in the kitchen, so... uh, Okay. That's okay. We're beaming him in now. Uh, Matt Singer, uh, a longtime uh, friend of of mine and of the internets. Uh, You've been um, talking about movies and writing about movies on the internet for a long time. Yes. Prior to your work at Screen Crush, you were working at IndieWire. I have worked at IndieWire. You were working at IFC. I did. I worked at the Independent Film Channel for... Several years. And before that... The Dissolve. The Dissolve, of course. And also, um, you know, I don't know, your school newspaper, maybe? Mm, (laughs) Not really. Well, that's enough. That's a pretty good list. That's enough. That's enough. Screen Crush, if you don't know, is is your number one destination for movie news with a, and correct me if I'm wrong, with a a populist slash geek bent, but not exclusive. I think that's well said, yes. I would say that your primary interest, uh, and this is as you in life, are, are things for uh, of uh, for dorks, you know, Spider-Man, the X-Men. I am one, Star so Wars, Star Trek. But write what you know, as they say. But also when uh, when the Toronto Film Festival is happening, all these snooty pants movies from Poland are coming out, you're watching those too. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Good. Well, um, wanted to have uh, a movie maven on today because we are mere hours away from the first screenings of Star Trek Beyond. Mm. I have spoken to one person who's seen it. Wow. Have you talked to a person who's seen it? Uh, now I'm talking to you who's talked to one person. So okay. by proxy, I suppose <laughs> I have. But this is the first. Yeah. No, I'm not going to say what this person said, but you know the guy. I do. You know him better is it than you? Are you talking about yourself I'm not in the third person? I have, I'm seeing it in, in two days. Oh. Um, is the, uh, the first screenings are happening, and uh, then... Next week it's out, and then everybody's going to see it. So. so if I hear loud weeping in the like on the wind, 
in two days, I'll know what it is. Yes. You you will have seen Star Trek Beyond. I'm seeing Star Trek Beyond in two days, and um, I can, I'm incapable of disliking a Star Trek movie. The worst Star Trek movie still is I I've only seen the worst the worst Star Trek movie I've still seen eight times. You know so. And which one is that? I'm not getting into that right oh. now. This is a long d- d- story. Okay, this is a- fair enough. Let's put it this way. Star Trek Beyond can only go up. You know? okay. <laughs> it can only go up. Mm, so, fair uh, enough. But, okay, so the new movie's coming out imminently. This episode is not about that. This episode is we're going to kick it back old school and talk about the first Star Trek movie. But before I do, I want to do a quick bit of This Week in Trek. And I wanted to write it by Matt Singer. Matt, you're you're into video games. You know what the cool kids are up to. Have you heard about this uh, Pokemon Go? I have heard about it, yes. Have you played it? I have not played it, no. Oh, why not? I figured you would have. I have a six-month-old daughter <laughs> at home. She I, pl- I got a six-month-old. I'm playing it. <laughs> oh, Brian. Be- because it's it's the episode of the game from Next Generation. All of society oh. is addicted to a video game. I have been thinking about what what the sort of allegory here is. No, I was no. thinking kind of Wally. There seems like a Wally no, thing where no, we... No, because you get up and move. You get up and move. I know. That's the one issue with the, the, right. the That's metaphor. why moms are not upset about Pokemon Go, they go, well, at least at least he's getting outside. At least outside. he's out of the house. <laughs> but it's basically the game from TNG. So mm. uh, How did that one end? Uh, Leffler's Laws. I don't remember. It works out in the end, I okay, think. Okay, so we shouldn't be worried about the imminent collapse of society. No, but you got to work hard to make it happen. <laughs> so you got to fight. You got to fight. All right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up, I don't know if you saw this. Um, I, I'm holding in my hand. What for, is that? This is a copy of Friday's uh, Wall Street Journal. What is What is a newspaper? <laughs> I'm unfamiliar with this device in your hand. Well, it's funny you say I, I don't normally read. Uh, I do like to read the print newspaper. Uh-huh. About I do. I, I would say on an average week, I used to subscribe to the New York Times, and then I'd stop because I would look at the end of the week and I would just see forests, dead forests in the corner. I would just think of all that paper. Um, but I usually buy a print newspaper about twice or three times a week. Usually the New York Times, sometimes the Daily News. Never the New York Post. Um, but I was in a hotel on Friday, so I got a free issue of the Wall Street Journal. This is a great story already. Does it have something to do with it Star does, Trek? It does, okay. it does. So you can go online, I suppose, uh, to, to read the article I'm about to talk about. On okay. the Friday, July 8th edition in what's called the mansion section of the Wall Street Journal. That One shows, of my favorites in shows the Wall you how, Street Journal, shows for you how sure. Ridic- what, the, what the audience is for the Wall. I'm surprised I was allowed to, to, to get this even for free at the hotel. <laughs> so in the mansion section, which I'm, I, I can't believe that's a daily thing. That's got to be a once in a blue moon thing. But in the mansion section, on the front, in addition to a beautiful home and a picture of Juliana Margulies, who I love, there is a great... Story about a millionaire named Mark Bell um, from Boca Raton, Florida. Not Derek Bell. Mark Bell, uh, Boca Raton, Florida, who built pretty much the bridge of the oh, of the Enterprise. Okay. D oh, I see. Wow. As a uh, look at that as picture. A screening room. As a screen, and then also open it up and look in the back page. Uh, you can. This is an actual newspaper. You can hear it on the microphones. Oh my goodness! Isn't that gorgeous? He has a pinball room and a, well, an arcade. He has pinball yeah, and arcade it's machines. All Star Trek stuff, and then that's he has his ears. I see. He looks like he has perhaps murdered a, a Vulcan <laughs> and collected uh, their ears. He. Uh, I see some tribbles, he's, and he has a beautiful like a like a memorabilia room with a with a with a 
it looks like a Star Trek themed rug. Right, right. He's chairs. He's a major collector, but this screening room looks fantastic. It's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It really is amazing. And he's it looks like a nice guy. He's there with his wife. Uh, she's a little younger than he is, which doesn't surprise me. But um, he's extremely wealthy, and he lives in Boca Raton, Florida. I don't know Florida too well. But I'm going to be in Miami. In you January. should have him on the podcast. Well, this is what I'm. This is why do you think I'm talking about this? Oh. No, no, I don't want to have him on the podcast. Oh. I want to have me at his house. So I'm going to be in Miami in You're January. You're inviting yourself over to no, his house. I would never do anything that gauche. What I'm but, hoping is that somebody listening, yeah. knows somebody who knows somebody that works for. I think the odds are pretty good if a guy Mark built, Bell Capital he built the Star Trek. Enterprise Bridge in his house. I think there's a, a decent chance he might have be listening to I, the official Star Trek podcast. I would like to think so. I mean, so Mark Bell of Mark Bell Capital, a very great guy. Look at him. You look <laughs> in his eyes, and you can see he's a he's, he's a, a fine tr- human being. Oh, you can see he's a great he's a a, a, a great philanthropist and an, a, a great. You know, industrialist. Per- no, no. You, you can say bicyclist. You, he's just a, a raconteur. You hang out with him and, sure. and you just enjoy the company. I don't know how far Boca Raton is from Miami. I'm assuming it's like it's like New Jersey. Everything's close. So what I'm hoping is that when I'm down there in Miami in January, you want to take a tour. I would love to go hang out with Mark. So if somebody knows him, I think that would be very cool for you. My one concern for Mark would be. That if he invites you over, it may be like an Ocean's Eleven style heist. You might try to pilfer <laughs> some of this memorabilia that I'm looking at. Those uh, dismembered Vulcaneers. Yeah, no, I would worry about them. I'd make sure they were locked up before you arrived because pre- I know you. It's pretty cool. So, no, I don't feel the need to own Star Trek memorabilia because you know what? That's a Pandora's box. When you open mm. that door, you, I do have a lot of Star Trek stuff in my home. I've uh, seen the pictures. Yeah. Very. You've been to my home, haven't you? No. You really haven't? No. Oh, my God. Um, I, I, this sounds weird. I, I, these things just kind of fall into my lap or I get them at, at conventions very inexpensively. I go to the junk box and I'll buy like the goofy action figures that nobody wants. So I have like wharf in cowboy regalia from mm. fistful of wharfs, a fistful of datas, excuse me. And, um, I'll have like the, the, the Dr. McCoy from encounter at far point, you know, kind of the weird ones that are out of box just like in a tub and they cost a buck but i have a lot of that enough that it causes some friction with my wife but (laughs) nevertheless um but you know so this all leads back to one thing star trek the original series ended in 1969 Mm. and then things kind of disappeared except for reruns except for the animated series which you'd think would be enough but then in 1979, the new, uh, a new day, what was it? The human adventure had, had just begun and Star Trek, the motion picture was released in cinemas. And I think most people who follow movies don't really think that Star Trek, the motion picture is a good film. No. People tend to dislike it. And you they and make I, fun of it. they do, they make fun of it. And I mean, you, I used to make fun of it. Really? Yeah. When I was younger. Oh, you called it the motionless picture. I mean, I don't know if I was that witty about it, but I felt that way. Sure. Um, I think that you would say that was the conventional wisdom or right. the, 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 the widely held belief. Right. But now uh, you and I are advocates, strong advocates. Yes. I love Star Trek The Motion Picture. I have grown to, I don't know if I would say love, but I've grown to really, really like it and admire it. Yeah. Let's let's bring it back a little bit. I want to talk about you and and your geek cred, so to speak. 
and I want to know where you are on the Star Trek spectrum. I know that uh, your geek cred is impeccable. You worked at a comic book. You are a comic book guy. You're the slender version of comic book guy. <laughs> okay. Mo you know, there's two iterations of comic book guy. Most of them tend to be on the hefty side, as I am. I was going to say, we fill both of the types in <laughs> yes. this room. So most tend to be sort of the, the common, the chromosomes cut in one way and the sort of the, what, what was it called? What's the, what's the thing when the, um, the dominant gene or whatever it is? Most There's dominant and recessive. There you go. The dominant gene of comic book guy is to be a little on the large side, kind of loud, opinionated, oftentimes Hoffman-esque, olfactory, um, <laughs> olfactory challenged. But then there's the slender comic book guy, mm. the, which is the recessive comic book guy, and you—that is you. Embrace yourself. Embrace who you are. No, I, I, yes, I have worked in comic book stores. How long did you sure. work in a comic book store? Off and on for like five years. I was a manager at one point, assistant manager. Did you, you had to, did you have to fire guys like me? I never fired anyone, no. Did you yell at somebody and say, stop? I definitely had to, you know, not yell, but yeah, people slacking off or not doing their doing what I'd ask them. Sure. What about the cliche of the guy working behind the, the counter who's looking down his nose at a noob or a girl who doesn't know what's going on and yelling? Did you ever have to deal with that kind of uh, employee? Mm. Like, stop being a jerk, and if the guy wants to buy Archie, let him buy yeah, Archie. Um, I, I think I, I encountered that attitude much more when I worked in a video store years later, oh. and the video store clerks were very snooty about uh, you know, people being like, do you have any films by Jean-Luc Goddard? And they'd be like, <laughs> you know, it's Godard, get out of my sight, that kind of thing. So, okay, all right. I, I, my, the comic book store I worked at, I'm sure we had a little of that, but we were a pretty tolerant, inclusive right. group. You know, I got to say, in terms of maybe because that's such a cliche, all the comic book stores in New York have the greatest uh, They're pretty good. Employees. We, we, we live Midtown, in a... Midtown Comics is the nicest. If you're a noob... And you go to Midtown Comics, which is a giant, it's a, chain, a mini chain in New York. There's three of them. The Biggie's in Times Square. And the other Biggie is right near Grand Central. If you go in there and you're like, uh, all my friends are into comics. I don't know. I've seen the X-Men, one of them. What do I do? They have an answer. Like, they'll help you out. They won't be like, well, you have to understand the multiverse and whatnot. They'll, 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 get, they'll, they'll help you out. Well, so that's, that, um, that should be exciting. You know, this is something you're passionate about. If someone comes in curious, you want to give them something good so that they... They, uh, they, they they see what you see in it. That's well, you know, I always felt anyway. That's how I feel about Engage, the official mm, Star Trek podcast. Look at so, that. What a segue. So we have people maybe out there that there might be a young person, 14, 15 years old, their first interaction with Star Trek isn't going to be the 2009 movie. It's Star it's Trek be this Beyond. Movie. Yeah. Star Trek Beyond. They'll be like, oh, I heard about Star Trek. I'm going to see Star Trek Beyond, the third film, Chris Pine, Handsome Fella, Captain Kirk. I know there's this other thing. There's this other movie, should I watch Star Trek The Motion Picture? And conventional wisdom, as you say, would be like, no, skip straight to Wrath of Khan. Sure. And frankly, you could do that. Yes. Much like you could watch Star Wars episode uh, four, five, one, two, three, and then six. Mm. Or some say four, five, skip one entirely, two, three, and six. Star you, Wars? You're talking about Star Wars on the Star Trek podcast? I, that's okay? I'm, that's totally kosher. You're, I'm that's surprised totally that's allowed. like the franchise that no, no, daren't speak its name. You're allowed to speak about it, but only uh, X amount of times per month. And, and then after that, I go over. Okay, so. you have a quota. You have a quota that you can't, you can't yeah. bear. No, no. Uh, so, that's, that, so some people say, eh, skip Star Trek the motion picture. You and I say no. And you have a big article that's going up 
in, on ScreenCrush.com imminently. By the time this is out in the in the cybersphere, yeah, uh, you can read about it, which is all your basically the case you make for Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yes. So um, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read your opening paragraph. Okay, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, the poster for Star Trek the Motion Picture, which I happen to be wearing a shirt. Bob Peake, I think, is the, the artist who made this uh, You are wearing poster. the poster as a t-shirt, right? I can see it right now. Bob, the guy who designed this designed um, Apocalypse Now. He designed... It looks like the poster for Apocalypse Now, actually, with the yeah. faces in the, in the light. Yeah. No, it's Very the same similar. guy, and he's done a host of other extremely important... And he's also a commercial artist uh, in the 60s. He was... He was probably like a guy hanging out with Don Draper in the 60s, mm. uh, designing you know ads for, I think Marlboro cigarettes was actually his his campaign, which in a way is maybe maybe that's not the best thing to want to talk about, but you know you can't deny that the art is good. Um, anywho, so uh, yes, so the, the story opens, and that's and that's what brought me in. I mentioned this in another podcast that I saw this poster. Yes, when I heard I was you talking about four that. years old. I don't want to go over it, but I saw this post when I was four years old, and that it is a gorgeous poster that dragged me in. It's a gorgeous. This shirt's disgusting though because I've been wearing it for three days straight. But the poster for Star Trek: The Motion Picture is so dramatic, says Matt Singer in ScreenCrush.com. The faces of William Shatner's Captain Kirk, Leonard Nimoy's Mr. Spock, and Persis Kambata's Lieutenant Ilya, refracted through a rainbow spectrum of light. That image promises excitement beyond imagination, adventure, passion. Every color under the rainbow. So why is the film so beige? And then there is a screen uh, cap of Captain Kirk with his arms at his hips. Yes. With the weird belt buckle, which uh, if you read the tie-in novel, you know is called a per-sec, which uh, is like a bio uh, device that could... It's a whole thing. And then everybody else in the bridge (laughs) is just like beige... Chairs, beige uniforms, everything is... Uh, Spock is kind of creamy blue. It's not a very colorful movie. No. Nevertheless, I think the look of this film is what I, draws me back to it again and again. Even though it doesn't really look like what we think about for Star Trek. Do you do you have a bone of contention with that? Or? No. I mean, that's. I think that is exactly right. I mean, I think there are ways we can defend those... Uh, somewhat dated or very dated costumes. I think there are reasons why they kind of work for the material, even though it does kind of look like, you know, Star Trek, the wrath of, of khaki. Uh, <laughs> but I, I but but the visuals in general, I think, are one of the most beautiful things about the movie and one of the best things about the movie. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't make the case that Star Trek, the motion picture, is the best Star Trek movie. There are a couple that I would definitely put ahead of it. But it might be the most movie-ish movie, at least until the more recent ones, at least until maybe like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Mm -hmm. It looks like a movie. And even some of the better movies, they feel smaller. Like I was just rewatching Wrath of Khan, which is, you know, Fabulous, incredible, magnificent, yeah. but it, it it feels like a smaller movie, which it was. Like it doesn't have that grandeur, that widescreen scope. With the exception of the Mutara Nebula, I would say that sequence is pretty great. But that's all special effects, right? Much of the Wrath of Khan is Kirk and Khan talking to each other on sets, talking to a wall, right? I, it's great, but you're right; it doesn't have the the the, the visual scope of of something like motion picture. Um, it uh, certainly doesn't have the 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 
the bright colors of uh, of the original series, but that was very much by design. Robert Wise, the director, who we will talk about in a moment, he, he when he got the job, as with so many Star Trek directors, had never, never seen won, Star never Trek. Never seen Star Trek. <laughs> Nicholas Meyer, J.J. Abrams, Robert Wise, they, they never really watched Star Trek until they until they got got a check, and then they suddenly became Star Trek fans. But um, he uh, was looking at, the, and he said that those colors are too much. It's right. not going to work. Supposedly, he screened the whole show on a in a screening room yeah. at the Paramount lot on a big screen and looked at it on the big screen and said those red, yellow, and blue costumes ain't going to work. And and who knows? Too garish. It, too much. And he he might be right. Who knows? But um, well, they never really used them until the more recent movies. So he might have correct. had a point. He might have had a point. And and also when they in the more recent ones, the costumes have the, the color pop. But as people joked, the bridge looks like the Apple Store. It's all white, right. and sort of cool blue. Yes, like a kind of a, 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 a sort of a LED blue. LED is that really what it's called? LED blue. I, That's what I just called it. I was going to call like a you know Caribbean Sea you know a resort uh, uh, spring water blue. Right. But I like LED blue also. I mean, I think it's very easy to laugh at the costumes in the motion picture. Uh, in fact, I still do occasionally. When you see that, when you see Bones has a V neck that is literally V'd down below his his nipples. Right. His chest hair is like is like fully exposed. So good, it's so good. But I'll tell you something though. And here, here's a, here's a point. Uh, original series is '60s Star, Star Trek. Right. The movies, Wrath uh, of Khan. Search for Spock, Voyage Home, the classic movies are 80s Star Trek. Yes, I see where you're going with this. Uh, Next Generation is 90s Star Trek. The only visual representation of 70s Star Trek, and I don't, unless you count the animated series, which I'm not going to go that far, is this. This is a very 70s movies, a very 70s movie in its themes. Yes. Um, and also in in its its look, it, it really it really is. Um, the other thing about the costumes is, it's the only time you'll see Spock again from certain angles. Spock's uniform when he comes back from Vulcan yes. after he's d- said, "I will not do the Kolinar uh, rituals," and he's got that crazy looking hair and whatnot. Uh, when he comes back, he's in a gown, <laughs> he's in a cloak, which is amazing, and then he goes and he gets his uniform back on. Right, it's different from his show uniform. But from certain angles, it looks very, very similar. And from certain angles, his hair looks exactly the same. And although he is older, he's 10 years older, from certain angles, he looks a lot like the show. But it's shot with better lenses, better film stock, uh, better lighting. and A wider frame. A wider too. frame. So there are moments where if you're not, if you just kind of blink at it, it looks like the show, but... The show never ended, essentially? A little bit, a little bit, because his uniform is a... It's not the exact same shade of blue. Sure. But it's similar. It's pastel. And he's got the bands around his uh, wrist. Uh, the um, There's a the term for this uh, that... Uh, I'm you gonna... don't know <laughs> it? <laughs> it's not the pips, because the pips are on... You know, it's the, the, the band that tells you what his rank is. You're going to get so many emails about this, aren't you? I know. I, I've always said that I'm the fan who can never remember the name of things. You know, that's what makes me me. But um, nevertheless, there are certain angles where it really does look like the show and that's amazing because it's the only and doesn't work the same for for bones or scotty or 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 kirk but for him it's it's pretty great well i think there's something um fitting about those these 70s costumes i don't think we want to spend too much more time on it but i you know like those the costumes from the old show are gorgeous right but maybe there is something slightly impractical about wandering (laughs) alien planets in brightly colored yellow velour like that might not be the best 
fashion choice for an away team. Those are advanced space age polymers oh. that will protect you from microbes and. Uh, you know, um, I just think that the like the, that like it just the, the, when I look at Star Trek the motion picture, while yes, yeah, some of those V necks or some of the 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 belt buckles without a belt, I know they serve a purpose supposedly in the story, but the fact that they're wearing belt buckles with no belts just always looks so kind of silly to me. But just the idea <laughs> that they don't really seem to care too much about the colors and this and yeah, that, it's like yeah. that doesn't seem like something Starfleet should be worried too much about. Right? No, they're very pragmatic and they're very they're pragmatic. They're, they're worried about uh, the the betterment of of society and. Right. Right. Of, of all these sort of um, intellectual pursuits, which is very Gene Roddenberry, and there's a lot of Gene Roddenberry in this story. It's sort of the most, it's absolutely the most Gene Roddenberry of the movies, and there is, and, and we can get into a little bit about the behind the scenes of how the movie was created, um, there are a lot of similarities between the motion picture and the somewhat beleaguered first season, first season and a half of The Next Generation, because they both have their roots in Star Trek Phase Two, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Star Trek show that never happened, that has Roddenberry's fingertips, fingerprints on him a lot, that a lot of people don't like. You know, some people can't handle the full rod, is what it is. When you get <laughs> so the, to speak, when you get the full rod, you get a. It very is a sm- lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Roddenberry is like, but, um, but again, that's what part of what I like I about know, me this too. movie. Roddenberry is like cooking with rosemary. Like, a little bit goes a long way, uh-huh. and you're going to taste it in every bite. Right. And if you don't like rosemary, you're not going to like the soup. And if you don't like Roddenberry's... This is like eating a handful of rosemary. It really is. If metaphor. you don't like... Roddenberry, is a, he's a little bit corny. He's so pure. In, very sincere. Very sincere. Which is funny, because if you learn about the guy, the guy was a human being. He had sure. He was not a saint, but he... Probably because his personal life was was a little bit of a, of a of a disaster area, he was able to project this perfection into his arts. And um, when you get the full rod, you get a very you get a very dorky Star Trek. Right. I do gravitate toward his stuff, you know. And and there's something wonderful, you know. I think the most Roddenberry character in all of Star Trek is probably Wesley Crusher. Hmm. You know? That's and interesting. Some people can't handle... Well, right. his middle name is Wesley Roddenberry, mm-hmm. and uh, he... Uh, he uh, people, Some people hate Wesley Crusher in that rainbow sweater. Right. I cannot tell a lie... You know, I was the right age for Next Generation when it started. I it never you projected a lot onto Wesley Crusher, is what you're saying. It never dawned on me that Wesley wasn't cool until years later. That says so much about it, you. I was stunned. I was stunned <laughs> to learn because I thought he was great. And this guy is so cool. <laughs> oh my god! It never dawned on He's me. Coolest. He, uh, yeah, he saved the day. You know, he was the That's Mozart. Fair. He was the Mozart of the galaxy right. in terms of. Uh, uh, isolinear chips and various other things. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. Now, I want to talk a little bit about our friend um, Robert Wise, who was... uh, The movie was already on its way. 
the production story, and this has been documented in a million different places, uh, uh, 1975, Roddenberry's called into uh, Paramount. They, they're thinking about bringing Star Trek back as a motion picture. They pitch one movie called... Um, a, was it a ben- the God Thing? Well, there's The God Thing. Is it The God Thing? The God Thing the sounds go- kind of like the full rod, to be honest the with God, you. The, uh, the God Thing is... is uh, Yes. Now, what's the other one called? The um, Planet of the Titans. Planet of the Titans. Thank you. Planet of the Titans. Uh, which uh, the the guys who wrote Don't Look Now, the um, Nicholas Rogue film with um, the dwarf with the hatchet and uh, Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Thank you. They wrote uh, Planet of the Titans, which was a kind of a spin on um, uh, Who Mourns for Adonais and also uh, the Chase, the 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 later uh, uh, episode, which was that uh, the seeds of mankind came from, from ourselves. From Captain Kirk. All right, so Captain Kirk Captain Kirk fire. goes back in time and gives fire to cavemen. Right. It sounds amazing. Yes. It would have been directed by Philip Kaufman, who right. later did the invasion of the Body Snatchers with Leonard, with Leonard Nimoy. Nimoy. So he got his Nimoy fix if in there. You, let me tell you something. If you think Star Trek the motion picture is alienating and cold and distant and weird <laughs> right. and inaccessible... Planet of the Titans would have made that look like uh, yeah. the voyage home. It would have been crazy. It and would then, have been amazing. Then there was a project called The God Thing, which is not that dissimilar from the motion picture. Yeah. Um, or, and there are some similarities with Star Trek V, Star Trek although Roddenberry never liked that. The basic premise is a being is coming toward Earth, causing destruction right. along the way. Claims to be God. Claims to be God. The Enterprise has to stop it. Has to stop it. And then it turns out, I may get this wrong, it's not really God. But Spoiler it is, alert it for is, a movie that was never made. Yes, it what it is a super being from a parallel dimension. Hate when that happens. That had somehow incepted the concepts of God on that exist in our timeline come from it and vice versa or right. something like that. And supposedly uh, the, the, that draft of this film or whatever was then transmuted into the pilot of phase two, which never right. happened, which, which was never then happened. transmuted yet again into the script for the motion picture. But what's funny about this, and it, it brings us back to today, um, then, but then another key thing happened. Star Wars happened. Right. And every bean counter in and Hollywood. And close encounters of the third kind. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And they said, holy Sci-fi crap. Sci-fi is back. Sci-fi is big. It's big business. It's big business. These guys with cigars in restaurants going, where's our, where's our, where's our space bucks? Right. And they said, why don't we get our space bucks from Star Trek, which we have the rights to anyhow. They're sitting around. And they decided to make this movie. But Roddenberry... Who had who had been working all this time? He he wrote a film, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite films, Pretty Maids, all in a row. Oh, with that Vodger. is a weird movie. <laughs> and he did some TV pilots, the Questor tapes, which is similar. Roddenberry loved to if he liked an idea, he used it again and again. The Questor tapes is not that dissimilar from motion picture in that it's about a mechanical being searching for its creator. Right. Um, and then he did Genesis Two, which was sort of like a person from it's kind of like idiocracy but serious guy right, from guy our time get, from the, gets sent into the future into the wakes future. up in the future and then genesis 2 was going to be a um series they did the pilot he had commissioned other scripts some of those scripts were then reused for phase two later down the line uh genesis then genesis 2 was done again he was trying to do it as another series he called it planet earth so he was a busy guy it wasn't like he was just playing playing uh, racquetball the whole time but then uh, phase two was going on. The, the point I'm making is that while they started production, Paramount 
said that they were going to make a what would then have been a fourth network abc nbc cbs and now paramount and they were going to lead with this new star trek right which is funny because it's not all that dissimilar from well not dissimilar from voyager when that when upn right. led with voyager and where we are, right, we now, are right now yeah i mean a fourth network in 1979 was lunacy there wasn't a fourth network till fox in right. 1990 blah, blah 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 whenever that was or late 80s but sure I didn't really notice it until the 90s, but okay. Oh, <laughs> um, I was too busy with right. <laughs> Star Trek right. to notice such things. Um, it was insanity, and now you have a major network, CBS, um, which we have to speak nicely about because we're in their building, that is going to start a new streaming platform, and they're leading with Star Trek, which is great, but it's funny because history repeats itself. You want to launch something new, why not launch it with the most costly, unwieldy property <laughs> that usually brings dis- makes great entertainment but brings destruction to the financial entities that, that back it? Desilu Studios nearly losing their shirt over Star Trek back in the 60s. We're doing it again with uh, Star Trek 2017, whatever that title will be. Anyway, the movie was, a, was on, its, on its way. Robert Wise, the director, people may not realize just how um, important of a figure in film history Robert Wise is. Matt Singer, as the editor-in-chief of Screen Crush, movie maven that you are. Has anyone called you a movie maven before? Uh, Not without meaning it insultingly. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about Robert Wise. Well, he was a director for decades by the time. I mean, Star Trek The Motion Picture was towards the end of his filmmaking career. He was... I mean, he famously worked with Orson Welles. He was the editor of Citizen Kane. Uh, he worked on Magnificent Ambersons and, you know, supposedly was involved in the, you know, the the cut, the theatrical cut of that, where the, the butchery of that film, right. depending he, on who you listen to. I, I think he did the right thing. I think Orson Welles needed to be kept in check. That's what I say. But Orson he, Welles, who, by the way, did the, the voiceover, voiceover for, for the Star Trek The Motion Picture. I never thought about that. William Shatner. Is Captain Kirk. Oh, I love that theatrical. Tra- that that. There's two trailers for Star Trek: The Motion Picture, both of which are brilliant. But the teaser, is so spooky. It's so 70s. It's got that silent running Saturn Three vibe. It's, it's, it's spooky stuff, and it's Orson Welles, and he actually says a Robert Wise film, and that's his old employee. Yep. He was pr- if he was a good on a good day, he's probably very proud of his associate Robert. If he was drunk on Paul Masson wine, and in one of his angry moods, he was probably so bitter and so angry he that he had to been. do that. He might have been. Because he hated doing voiceover to the end of his career. But yeah, I mean, Robert Wise was like a great, he was a great studio director, and he worked in every kind of genre. He made sci-fi movies. He made right. horror movies. Well, I want to Musicals. Throw, I want to, yeah, horror, The Haunting. The Haunting, which is a masterpiece. Really is one of the greatest horror films ever made. So scary, and you don't see anything. It's, it's all in your spooky. head. Um... Musicals, My Fair Lady, uh, Sound of Music, and 50% of West Side 50% Story. 50% of West Side Story. co-directed West Side Story. These are the Robbins. three biggest uh, musicals you can think of. Sci-fi, two movies. One of the most important sci-fi Amer- American sci-fi movies in the 1950s, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Right. The guy directed Gort and Spock. Holy cow. Uh I'm assuming that most people have seen The Day of the Earth Stood Still, and one that is another extremely 70s movie, which you and I were talking about before, called The Andromeda Strain. Uh, the Andromeda Strain, based on a Michael Crichton novel, w- might be his first novel. Um, I think it was. 
huge success. And the look of Star Trek the motion picture, if you love that look, close-ups of graphics, cool lighting, lots of filtered light, color saturation, hallways, white hallways, blue hallways. <laughs> What's more exciting than hallways? From a visual point of view, I'm saying that Star Trek the motion picture has a look, and that look you can find its roots in the Andromeda Strain. All right. Also worked with Douglas Trumbull, the special effects advisor who worked on motion picture, worked right. on the Andromeda Strain. Also, it's basically the same movie. Because people who complain about Star Trek the motionless picture will say, I'm gonna, you want to know what Star Trek the motion picture is about? It's about, a bu- it's about the thing in space and a bunch of guys getting a ship and go look at it. That's kind of it. It's two hours and 20 minutes of people going to a place. It takes a really long time. The Andromeda Strain is going to go one better. It's about a bunch of guys who take an elevator down for two hours. It takes an hour. It takes a half of this movie for a guy to get to a spot off in the distance. Project Wildfire, it's called. And he's got to descend six levels. He's washing. He's scrubbing. He's putting on booties. There's a, a room where he's zapped with yellow rays, with red rays. But it looks fantastic. Some people don't like uh, the Andromeda Strain. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And then at the end... There's a bad thing that's happening. It's a space virus. I'm going to spoil the movie, but it's from 1971. It's kind of the same as the motion picture. Like, the motion picture is, there's a thing. It's going to destroy the Earth. They get to it, and it kind of works out pretty... Like, they don't have to fight it or anything. It's They do a couple of things, and they fix it. Andromeda Strain, mankind is about to be killed, like, in 10 minutes. Get your act together, unless these scientists can figure it out. And then they kind of figure it out, and then it's and then it's it. And it's not like a big aha moment. Michael Crichton never too good with endings, I will say. Well, this so has been a great episode of the Andromeda Strain <laughs> podcast, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. It's a great movie. I'm saying people should check it out. When when you're describing it, I mean, here's how we can relate it back to Star Trek: The Motion Picture. What you're yeah. describing in that film and Robert Wise's approach to it is this fascination with detail and with mm. process. And I think that's what you also see in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And one of the things I like about it, you know. Yes, it, it is not the most exciting Star Trek movie. In many ways, it might be the least exciting Star Trek movie. But what I love about Star Trek is that it can contain multitudes. It can, you know, you can make an adventure story within Star Trek. You can also make a very detailed, uh, granular story about what it might be like to be on this ship in outer space going to encounter this strange alien presence that no one has ever seen before. And the incredibly detailed way that you have to leave space dock, right? Yeah. Everyone makes fun of the space dock sequence in this movie because it's like 45 minutes before the ship even leaves. You know, the old Star Trek TV show, the ship is moving at light speed before the credits are over. <laughs> in this movie, it takes 45 minutes just for the ship to leave the dock. I believe the first bit of of what you might call action is the wormhole sequence. Which slows the movie down. (laughs) They go into warp speed, they go in a wormhole, and everyone is moving at slow motion and talking like they're imitating Dory doing whale voice. (laughs) Photon torpedoes. That is the greatest scene. Um, My favorite one is, Belay that order. I think it's actually belay that phaser (laughs) order. It's even longer. I mean, this is a movie where the action scenes slow the movie down, and it was a slow movie to begin with. But that's what makes us brilliant. Yes, that is what I... I don't know about brilliant, but that is what I like about it, because... 
it is more interested in these other things. If you And what's great about Star Trek now is you can go and whatever mood you're in, there is a Trek film for that. Right. If you are in the mood to watch a film about how they leave space dock and how you go up to the ship in a little shuttlecraft yeah. and how the how different things work on the ship, this is a good one to do that. And it's something that was never really replicated in any other visual Star Trek. I mean, there are a zillion books out there and some of them are very detail-oriented and you can really dig into the engineering aspects or just sort of sink your teeth into one sequence but this is it this is a one-time deal and i think that's part of the that was the 70s man people made weird movies back then yeah and they rolled the dice on a big budget and uh like you say it was the it was the only time that the procedural aspects of it i mean you know it's funny to think about the uh 70s had a series of movies that are often joked about called the airport series Mm -hmm. airport 77 you know with a concord jet under the sea with jack lemon or something like Mm -hmm. that the first airport movie which was nominated for academy awards by the way is not really an action movie no it's a movie about an airport (laughs) and in classic hollywood fashion it was very popular and so they made dumb sequels out of it they took a relatively serious movie i mean it has it has like you know explosions and things like that yeah yeah but it is mostly about the running of an airport on a particularly exciting day right (laughs) but it's still about bureaucracy and middle management it is kind of like star trek the motion picture it kind of is but not beautiful it's it's kind of an ugly movie but But then um, the sequels all were about they were disaster films they were they they really were the original disaster films right right and i think that this was a time when for whatever reason just like focusing on what you know you know the 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 first half hour of star trek motion picture really nothing happens they're going up to a thing and then they and then what would it be like you get in the band back together you meet every member of the crew and you know i could understand people not being into that but i think that a certain type of person is going to really i completely understand it and i and like i said i used to you know make fun of it think it was slow and boring and i can i absolutely can understand anyone feeling that way yeah. but as i get older there is something about this movie that resonates you know they talk about the, the you know with every movie as the as the actors got older they became more and more about sort of mortality and aging yeah and this was the first movie and this was the first one where they really deal with that i mean the fact that kirk the great captain of all time is bound to his desk yeah and so desperate to get back in the sky get back in space that he kicks the new captain of the Enterprise basically like just shows up and is like, hey guys, I'm in charge now. Not only are you not the captain, I'm demoting you to commander. Uh, he had to do it. It he, was desperate times. Of course. And he uses, and they talk about it in the movie, but yeah. just the idea that these guys, you know, they were getting older. And yes, they made some great action movies with this cast later on. Yeah. But I yeah. think there's something to the idea that we were cowboys in the 60s. Now we're middle-aged. Right. You know, we're getting older. We're not really running at top speed anymore. I think there's something true about that. What do you think about the changes to the characters? Because um, there's not a lot of humor in this movie. Um, There's a a lot of humor in all of uh, original series and in the other films. This one, there's one or two moments of levity when, when Kirk begs Spock to take a seat. He's like, damn it, will you sit down? And, right. and, there's, like, and there's like one or two other little moments like that. But it's very straight, very earnest. And Kirk is a little... Like, if this is the first thing you've ever... If you've never watched Star Trek, and then you watch Star Trek The Motion Picture, that's the first thing you ever see, you're going to be like, boy, this guy, Captain Kirk, kind of a kind of a jerk. Yep. Kind of joyless. Yep. Spock, 
not like why do people like this guy he's real so so remote so, so emotional yeah more more so than in any other episode i mean the whole shtick of spock earlier was that he's got the war within and between his vulcan side his human side and in this film there definitely is an arc of at the end after he mind melds with Viger, he's pra- practically like like in a, in a sort of a euphoric state he's, mm. he's not really smiling but he has this gleam in his eye he looks dazed and he ultimately, after Star Trek The Motion Picture, knows that he's got to be, he's got to embrace his human side. He's lucky to have that. But in most of the movie, like there's a bit that I think in the series would have gone a lot better, which is when Bones is sort of needling Spock a little bit. And there's there should have been a reaction shot. Well, I'm not going to say should have. There could have been a reaction shot of Spock kind of raising his eyebrow or kind of sighing a little bit. Deflating the tension. Deflating the tension. And in this version, it's just boom, complete stone face. Right. And not for a laugh. Here's here's why here's why I like all this stuff you're saying. Yeah. Because this movie is set ten years after uh the the, the T V show. How and we're getting a ton of these movies nowadays. You know, I, I call them legacy sequels because they are we take this popular thing that we loved from 10, 20 years ago, we bring it back, we restore it, we we, we put in some new characters, but we bring back all the old cast to sort of uh, anoint them, to give them our approval, and to send them off. I mean, in a way, the Abrams Star Trek was that, in the way that it had Leonard Nimoy on hand to pass right, off the, yeah. the, the franchise. Sort to of a, a weird generation. example, but you're talking about movies like uh, Independence Day Resurgence. Independence Day Resurgence, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Right. I hope I'm not affecting your quote of no. Star no, no, Wars no, no. Ma- mentions. You, you there's a, but there's yeah. a bunch of them. It's a ver- Jurassic World. Yep. It's a very popular thing now. And a lot of times, the characters that do return, they don't. They are older, but they they try so hard to recapture what we love about the old characters. Right. Yeah. And what I like about this is, even though we haven't seen that time, it really feels like these characters have grown and evolved since we last saw them. Right. Yeah. Like Captain Kirk is a different guy. He's not the guy from the TV show. Yeah. And in a way, it's it's kind of sad because he desperately wants to be that guy. Yeah. And that's what getting old is. Being older is like looking back at your life and saying. I miss the guy I was when I was 25. And hopefully, if you like this movie, at the end, you kind of go, well, no, but it's okay to be this age. You embrace it, right? And I think that's what Spock's arc is so interesting about. And why I love that is that that character actually evolves. And I think one of the problems with it is that, spoiler alert for a movie that I guarantee everyone listening has heard, like, he dies in the next movie. And I feel like, and then he resets in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. the the evolution of the character is stunted by the next movie, which is great, which I love, but <laughs> right, I right, feel right. like the stuff that this movie did to the character is wiped away so quickly that it doesn't even register. That's a good point. Like, you know, at the end of, of motion picture... You or know this begin- better than I do. Is this the first time he calls Kirk Jim? No, absolutely it's not. It's not, okay. No, 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 no. Because when he says it in this movie... There's like a tenderness to it that it's the first, is surprising to it's me. It's the first time that, with the exception of the end of a mock time, when he he calls him Jim then, when he's thrilled that he didn't kill him. Okay. Maybe because he didn't want to go to jail. But, um, you know, but he's thrilled that he didn't kill him, and he's just beaming, and he's smiling, and he practically embraces him, and then he goes, oh, excuse me. Right. But um, it's, the, it's one of the few times where he talks about their friendship you know, you're talking about the scene where he's in the bio bed. Yes. Yeah. It's the it's this it's the fir- it's one of the f- I think it's the only time where he ha- definitely talks about their friendship before, and but in a sort of a very clinical Aspergian way, he's like, "Our friendship is important. You know, right. human connection is good for the the crew right. and for the working 
working of the ship. It's the first time he's he's like, you know, I need to be your friend uh, for me. You know, that, you know, it's not for any logical purpose other than our love. This you know? simple feeling. Yeah, this simple feeling, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a very powerful scene, actually. It's heavy stuff. Certainly very 70s. It's very, you know, hang out in, in, in an est uh, group and bang a drum and, and, and you know, th- that sort of thing. It's, 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 it's pretty great. It but really he, is. I mean, he really does have this transformation. In the movie. I mean, you see, because he's become so logical, so Vulcan with the culinar and all that, yeah. and that he, he through this... So encou- logical he doesn't even get a haircut. <laughs> he, but that through that encounter with V'ger, yes, he sort of has this evolution. And I really wonder if he had not died in Wrath of Khan, what, like, sort of how the character would have continued to evolve after would that. Would he have become, I'm going to, th- would he have become so, I don't want to say anti-Vulcan, but would he, would he have embraced emotions so much that he would have been more like Cybok? That's an interesting... I mean, it's an interesting thought experiment, but it's, yeah. again, it's one of the things where I feel like it's something that's held against the movie that's not the movie's fault. Like, I feel yeah. I feel like the, the stuff with Spock in this movie is good, and if it wasn't for it being immediately undone by the next right, movie, right, right. people might feel differently about Shat- it. I lo- Shatner's performance is so great in this because he's, he's ready to kick ass from the first frame. He exits a shuttle. He's so angry. He's so angry. And there's this, I got to say, very sexy woman behind him who's given him eyes. You got to watch that scene again. There's a woman. She's got like short hair and she's looking him up and down. And we don't like, what were they schmoozing beforehand? We don't know. We don't. She doesn't have a name. She's a very alluring woman in the shuttle with him. And he's, um, like you say, total jerk to Decker. Well, no, he's not a jerk. He's just very... He's he's business. there's no warmth. He's I mean, all business. I mean, yeah. in a way, it's it's in a way he mirrors Spock. He's gotten colder over the years yeah. too, and 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 he's wrong, and he admits that he's wrong in a great moment, maybe one of my favorite moments of the film, when he he screws up a few times. In fact, you know, Decker has to belay that phaser order, right? And there's something else that he does that's wrong, and Decker Decker saves the day. Decker saves the day, and he does and. And or he gives it he he gives some commentary on something, and Kirk gives him a look, and Decker's like, as 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 executive officer, it is my job to point out options. Basically, it's his job to, he, to be the ombudsman to kind of just right. shove ideas in the face. And Kirk looks like he's going to kick his ass, and he takes a deep breath, and then he points his finger at him. And he goes, I forget the exact wording, but he's like, "You're absolutely right." And I just can't tell. You can watch it three times. Around, I just can't tell. If Kirk is admitting he's wrong, or he's like giving him the kill him with kindness respect, it's such a nuanced performance that I don't. Or Shatner know. forgot his line for a second and no, took no, no, a longer I don't pause than he meant to. I, no, no, okay. I trust, I trust the Shat. He's, okay. he's, he's better than that. It's such a, it's such a fine line. And if I was Decker, and I would go, if I'm going back to my quarter that day, and I'm hanging out, and your wife says, "How was your day at work?" I'd be like, you know, the captain said this thing to me, and I don't know if he meant it nice or if he meant it mean, and it would keep you up all night. But that is, to me, that's that's what life on a starship would be, right? <laughs> like you're, you know, it's your job. Right. Everyone in the, in Star Trek, and it's one of the things we love about it. They're like a family, and everyone so often gets along. There's strife at times, but yes. it's all about the family. And here you see, like. Like what it would be like to hate your boss on the starship, and it's your job, and you're stuck there, and there's nothing you can do. Like right. that is a relatable thing within right, right. this movie. You know, it's funny because everybody, you know, Next Generation, everybody loved Picard. He was the the great, and I 
I, I think Picard is the, is the great, not only the greatest captain he's of, of, of Star Trek, he's the greatest leader in all of, of in the entire galaxy. You okay. Know? I would follow Picard anywhere. <laughs> and there's that great episode, and of course I can't remember the exact name, I think it's from season four or so, when Picard is uh, kidnapped and replaced by a... Um, uh, you know, a, a um, proxy, uh, a facsimile, and uh, people can tell that it's not Picard because he's being too nice. <laughs> and it's they go to ten forward, and it's a great moment. He's like a, a, a toast. Here's to the greatest crew in all of Starfleet. And right, and the the, the rank and file, like, yeah, hey, we're drinking with the captain, all right? But Riker and Troy. And Jordy are like, what the hell's going on? This is not the captain. You know, mm-hmm. something's up. And it's like, he's, uh, is, to, to be the captain, you got to be a little tough, you know, which is why I'm a terrible boss. You know, I, I never, I could never be the editor in chief of Screen Crush because I'm, I'm, I'm you're too not nice. The, you're not the jerk that I am. Can I, can I, can I compliment <laughs> one other little detail of practicality that I love in this movie that it. I totally had forgotten until I rewatched it uh, this time? You know, everyone. It's like a cliche now when the when this when the ships in in Star Trek when they get hit by lasers or whatever, everyone you know leans and falls and everything. And in this movie, they gave Kirk a harness, seatbelt, seatbelt, basically the wings, and it's a cool design. The wings of his chair, the captain's chair, fold down so that when things happen, everyone's kind of jostling around, and the captain is not going anywhere. And I was like, first of all, that was a great idea. What took them so long to think of it, and why did it go away? Because if they didn't, that didn't linger. Uh, inertial dampeners took care of it in the future. Um, I don't know why it went away. That's well, a good I, again, question. that is, a, but that's, a, but it's symptomatic of the ideas in this movie, which which are like practicality and how things would work on this yeah, ship. Yeah, there are a lot of really cool things you see in this movie, uh, other than just like doohickeys in the background and and cool lighting effects and whatnot. There's the rec room. They have um, wrist communicators that kind of look like my uh, my step counter that I wear on my wrist. Yes, the wrist communicator is cool, um, but then they upgraded to uh, you to know, the, the com- I know those were cool. The com still. badge. Um, I but- feel like we have to. I know we're, we're probably running out of time soon, but I feel like we have to at least address like the main criticism which people have about the movie, which is that not only is it slow, but these long sequences where quote-unquote nothing happens right where like kirk going up to the ship and also right. the sequence of entering v'ger like twice which, which right it enters it and then it re-enters it and then spock enters alone right i mean i yeah. have i have my own thoughts but i'm curious like how would you defend those I, sequences i'm too close to star trek to i wish it was longer but i recognize <laughs> that i have a problem uh i I, I love it. I but I yes, it's long, uh, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, the I mean, it's it's Douglas Trumbull, the same guy who who did two thousand one. The, mm-hmm. the sequences of entering V'ger, um are using many of the same techniques that were used in two thousand one. Yeah, and um, the shots of Spock floating and then doing that mind meld. I you know I love it. I think it's great. I think the whole <coughs> excuse me. I think I think the visual look of everything. Sorry, coughing in your ear there. I do know you. You made fun in your article about the um, the um, security guys looking like they had just been playing laser tag. Yeah, th- those and costumes are not uh, not the most I would say professional looking. No, but they 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 do look like spaceballs. They really do. They do look like spaceballs. You're right. I might have to add a reference. There. I might have to steal your line uh, and add fine. a little spaceballs. That's fine. Um, but reference. Yeah, I there. mean, it is long, but it's 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 beautiful. It's widescreen, and it's a thing that could only have happened once. I mean. 
yes, a Paramount executive might have been in their right to, you know, when they saw a cut of the movie, say, cut that out, cut that out, cut that out, and you'll have a a more likable movie. Right. Critics were not kind to Star Trek The Motion Picture, but it did really well. In fact, if you uh, take an account of inflation... It's like the most successful one, right? Well, no, it's the third okay. behind 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness. So it's the most successful of the original it's of the, the Shatner Nimoy movies. It's the most successful of Shatner Nimoy and most successful of certainly of any of the Picard uh, era. Right. So um, that is a bit of a, uh, a misconception that people say that it was a flop. It was not a flop at the box office, but... You know, people. But I, it was but a people, critical flop for the most part. For sure. I think, frankly, mo- pe- people probably went and were disappointed. You know, it's possible. I don't know. I would have to ask people at the time. I think, and I think some of the, yes, but I think some of the feelings about it now, in the slowness and the in the that you know that nothing happens, et cetera, et cetera, is partly the way it's been watched for the last twenty five plus years, which is on a television. God forbid on a on a on a phone or a tablet or something. Right, right. This is not a movie really to be watched on a on a computer no, or a little no. screen. This is a movie that you need to be enveloped by. Yeah. That you need to get lost in. Like I think one of the reasons that Star Trek has endured as well as it has is those the other movies play very well on television. You yes. know? Yeah, absolutely. So Wrath of Khan is a great movie to watch on TV. And like those movies play over and over on on cable and they're wonderful i fu- I've I've seen probably seen Star Trek 3 more than any others because it was on TV the most when I was a kid and it was a great movie to just watch over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, and, I mean, and, and, and this movie, you can't you can't be looking at your phone. You can't be looking at your email. You can't be playing uh, a Pokemon Go. No. You have to be, you have to give yourself over to it. It, 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 it belongs to a different era. It belongs to a different era. And, and, and also, it's, it, that's, that is an anomaly for Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, Star Trek is a television show more than anything else. The movies are sort of an on-the-side, an additional thing. Uh, the current ones certainly do have a lot of visual splendor. Um, and the other ones are great in a group environment. I mean, watch Star Trek IV The Voyage Home with a group and... You it's know, great. it's the laughs are there, and and it's it's terrific. But yeah, this is one that really does have that that big sweep. And let's not forget the score. Oh, the score! How yeah. did we go so long about this movie and not mention the score? I don't because we're fools. we're dopes. We're dopes. And the sound effects, those those twangs of the photons are But the score, Jerry Goldsmith's score, um, which so greatly incorporated the original in little moments. Uh, that I kind of forgot about it uh, sometimes. And I watched it again recently. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, there is that little moment of the original series mm-hmm. score in there. But the Star Trek the Motion Picture score, of course, became the Next Generation score. Right. Uh, if you probably were to poll people, if you were to go into the street and say to somebody, sing me the theme to Star Trek, what would they sing? They might. Well, I mean, the, the original theme from the TV show is very memorable, and I could yeah. sing it for you if you wanted me to. I'm not asking but, you. I said a man in the street. But, but I yeah. think you're right. I think, th- I mean, to me... If you go even further and say, like, what's the best music the franchise ever produced? This has to be up there on the list. If it's not in the top one, it's in the top three for sure. Yeah, for certain, yeah. And it has this amazing majesty to it and optimism. Like, there's something very Star Trek to me about the music. It feels like this sort of hopeful adventure summed up in a a musical theme. And not just that, the the notorious, uh, and we've touched on it a few times, the, 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 the space dock sequence... 
There's no dialogue. Right. It's a showcase. It's a for showcase, the music. and it's an it's an it's a, a, a uninterrupted piece of music for X amount of minutes, which you'd never see in a movie ever. Right. Really, even in the even in like big Hollywood roadshow era, in in the era of Lawrence of Arabia, you would have an overture and an entr'acte, as it was called, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have six minutes or whatever of just pure music to visuals. Right. I mean, other than like a movie like Disney's Fantasia or something like that. And that wasn't original score. Right. I mean, that Chris- was stinkers like Tchaikovsky, <laughs> not Jerry Goldsmith. Chris Pine had an interesting comment recently. Someone asked him about more cerebral Star Trek in movies. And I, I thought, he, you know, he said that basically he doesn't think that it would work anymore. And I thought this was, he might be right. And yeah. I think that there's, and that's, but I also think that that's kind of okay. Like, I'm not trying to judge the new movies. I enjoy the new movies a lot. Yeah. But I think there is something special about the fact that there was a time when yes. we got a cerebral Star Trek movie that was huge and epic and expensive and weird and strange yeah. and off-putting. Yeah, Pine is probably right, and that's a shame. I mean, there there are art films out there, but they're done on a very small budget, or or they're anomalies. Um, or they have Brad Pitt producing them, right. like Tree of Life. But this is not. But this, but this is, is a, not just about Star Trek. I mean, he's talking about Hollywood in general. No, he's absolutely right. Yeah, he's I'm, talking I'm, about blockbusters, and that's what these new Trek movies are. And I think for what they do, at least the first one, I wasn't a huge fan of the last one, and I, I'm I'm excited about the new one. The first one was a very good example of that sort of movie making. Uh, but I just think that it's great. Again, I've said I think I've said this already. It's just like I like that Star Trek is so malleable and that it can it contains multitudes the infinite diversity the infinite combinations right you get if you're what there literally is a star trek movie for whatever mood you're in and And, sometimes i feel like feeling bummed out about the fact (laughs) that i'm getting old and pondering the nature of intelligence and emotion in the universe and you want to watch you pop in your blu-ray of of the motion picture dim the lights crank up the the speakers well, you know, talk about the malleability. That's what this new show is, I think, is going to be. In, in the Brian Fuller's new show, not that I know, but I, I, I have a hunch, is not going to be season eight of Next Generation. Right. It's going to be an adaptation of the Star Trek world to the new style of television series in the vein of a Breaking Bad, a Mad Men, the Homeland, um, you know, 13 episodes, one arc not it's not going to be 30 episodes where you say oh like this week's a this week's a troy episode this week's a wharf episode it's it's going to be very different so a bit of a shock to the system to star trek fans but it really shouldn't be right because as you're saying star trek has always been different it's in beautiful. different that's different what, iterations. that's part of what makes it fantastic and and this the the motion picture you know i don't think i we, we've kind of touched on it too it's like the characters are older it's a movie for adults you know like that's why i say like when i was a kid i didn't yeah. really like it you know the start the new star trek movies they're for a younger audience they have a younger ca- like deliberately a younger cast a yeah. new young cast the the star trek the first film series was a bunch of middle-aged to almost senior-aged yeah. stars <laughs> and that's something else that kind of made all of those movies anomalous you know, and kind it, of great is that they were and especially the first movie they were movies for adults which was adults. great it was rated g but also but that was could, the way that ratings worked back but, then but it was rated g but could scare the hell out of you there are some scary sequences uh the, the death in the transporter room is terrifying. Very, very troubling. Actually, the sounds they make are yes. just just awful. I think that's the scariest moment in all of Star Trek. The wormhole sequence that mm. we've been mocking can spook you as a kid. That slow down. And by the way, those the streaming that was all hand painted. That was animated. 
That was not a computer it looks generated great. effect. It's just the fact that they're moving in slow Torpedoes. motion. And just, I, yeah, I mean, it's like a parody of the movie within the movie. Right, but it's still spooky. And then even just some of the images of the three times entering the V'ger cloud... Uh, it's it's spooky stuff, you know, for a little kid, you know. Right. Well, but, there's an amazing shot. There's not a lot of shots of the of the actual Enterprise inside V'ger. I think that might have had to do with how long it took to make the effects. They were yeah. very behind schedule. But there's one shot the where tiny little Enterprise, right? right? The v, right. The, the Enterprise is like a speck in this giant cloud, and you've spent 35 minutes establishing how big the Enterprise is when Kirk right. and Scotty go up in their tiny little, uh, uh, you know, space shuttle up to it. Yeah. So. The fact that now that giant ship is dwarfed by this, it really kind of conveys the the scope of this danger. All right, so we're going to close with this th- thought experiment. Let's pretend that Star Trek didn't exist except for 1979. Star Trek the motion picture shows up, which you would have to tweak the story a little bit because the return of Spock on the bridge wouldn't mean much. Right. But with a couple of tweaks in this parallel universe, you could make... This movie. This is like someone's gone back in time and destroyed a, a right. ship and it skewed us into a new timeline. Exactly. Okay. Got the Melvin timeline. The Melvin timeline. Okay. So we're in the Melvin timeline, and Star Trek: The Motion Picture comes out. Would um, would people like it? Would people still talk about it? This is there's no Star Trek TV show beforehand no. at all. This is this is the first Star Trek in this Melvin yeah, you, universe. You meet you the first thing is you see some aliens with crazy foreheads get killed and then you see an angry guy get off a shuttle and saying I'm right. taking over that ship. I'm going to be totally honest. Yeah. I think that there would never have been another movie. Yeah. But the movie itself would be one of those great cult 70s films. Like Silent Running. Yes. Or um, or Sorcerer or something like that that okay. has a passionate fan base of you know like people who are into strange 70s cinema yeah that film that nerds film Fil- nerds or just people who you know maybe maybe if you enjoy watching films under the influence of certain substances right. i feel like <laughs> we haven't touched on that but i feel like no, Star Trek, should, the motion could... picture would certainly uh be a, a, of a use to someone who does that yeah yeah it's very colorful i mean even though it's beige on the interior the the swirly Those blue trippy lights. psychedelic v'ger yeah. sequences would really be fantastic yeah for someone in that sort of headspace v'ger yeah oh you know what my the, there are my two favorite moments in star trek the motion picture are is when ilea probe ilea so she's slow and it's so funny, they, they mutated her voice electronically, and the actress was Indian, so she had a bit of an accent. So with, you could barely understand. I mean, I, this is not a negative. I'm just saying that I and my I, I had trouble understanding her without the, the subtitles. Let's put it that way. So, so but anyway, Ilea sees V'ger, slowly extends her hand, points, and says, V'ger. That's my number two favorite moment. Okay. My number one favorite moment, Ilea very slowly raises her arm and points and says V'ger <laughs> happens twice from different angles that pretty much sums the movie up it's pretty so well wonderful <laughs> the fact that it happens twice and the fact that we still like it it's so good V'ger so anyway um, no I think I think it was give it's, this it's, movie a chance that's my message yeah. is don't expect the wrath of Khan right. the wrath of Khan exists and it's great and open your minds and your hearts and 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 let the motion picture in. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Give it a chance. Like V'ger opened up and let the Spock, a uh, single Spock and sucked him in his little aperture, let the movie suck you in. 
in a tractor beam. You might find you like it more than you did. I'm not yeah. saying it's a masterpiece, but I'm saying it's a worthwhile entry in the Star Trek pantheon. And a very weird, specific type of 70s sci-fi. If you like it, then go chase down Andromeda Strain, which has a very similar look, and chase down, we've, I mentioned Silent Runnings a few times, and others of that era, the Solaris, Tarkovsky Solaris, also interminably slow, but kind of fun. Um, Tarkovsky's Stalker, which is not set in space. It's it's set in the zone. Um, what are some others that you would compare it to? I mean, the movie it feels the most like to me is 2001. I mean, not just the Trumbull effects, but just the idea of man going into outer space and uh, connecting with this alien entity or yeah. presence or intelligence. And then, spoiler alert for both, like that the outcome is this sort of merging of yeah. alien or computer technology and mankind to create this evolution yeah. or this idea, which is very kind of 60s and 70s of like, we need to evolve our consciousness, man, <laughs> beyond the bounds of humanity, man. Yeah. That kind of thing is yeah, very know, present in both movies. It's true. And um, 2001 is is the better film, I think. I can admit that. Oh, even for sure. Even on the official Star Trek podcast, I can admit that 2001 it's is a better film. very big of But it would be, I mean, it's interesting to try to watch this movie and think about it if, it really, the concept of thinking about it as its own entity with no other Star Trek before or after struck me by watching that teaser trailer voiced by Orson Welles. Because it's such a spooky trailer with like the sound of warp engines revving up and there's like quick cuts of the of the ship and the characters and he says the names and he, he presents them almost as if characters you don't know. William Shatner is Captain Kirk. George Takei is Lieutenant Sulu. And I was trying to put myself in the headspace of somebody who didn't who just never watched the show and what it would be like to come across it as this being the first. And I, I think it would really work. I, I think I, I think in a way you can approach it as the first. It's um but also and this is coming from Paramount this Christmas. Imagine if you were a Star Trek fan. And you'd been in a drought for a decade, and you had the animated series, which was which was good. I like the animated series, yeah. but that, that's the animated series. I liked it series. too as a kid. And you'd been reading the books, but you hadn't seen it. Let's say you know there was no, no internet back then, and unless you were tapped into Star Trek newsletters and you know were really going to conventions, you might have had no idea that Star Trek the motion picture was coming out. And you'd seen Star Wars, and you know you. You'd seen Close Encounters, and you'd been like, oh, you know, but my old favorite show, Star Trek, is still on reruns. And then you go to see a movie in early 1979. <laughs> you go to see, I don't know, Any Which Way But Loose, the <laughs> Clint Eastwood monkey movie, or whatever else was coming out in 1979. You go to see Kramer versus Kramer, or whatever it is, and the trailers are there, and you're sitting down, you're getting your popcorn, you're getting your milk duds. Maybe you're pouring your milk duds in your popcorn like I like to do sometimes. <laughs> And then you hear Orson Welles' voice and you hear, no, it starts with the Paramount logo and then the Paramount logo becomes like a wormhole. And then it goes, and then They're you everywhere. see like a light on what looks like the deflector dish. You're like, is that a deflector dish or the Enterprise? What's going on here? And then you hear William Shatner is Captain Carr. Well, you would have soiled yourself. You would have soiled yourself in the I theater. would hope I wouldn't go that far. I would Maybe have you myself. would have. Don't speak for me when it comes to soiling myself, Imagine please. if you were, I mean, there probably are, I want to hear from listeners out there that didn't really know there was a movie I would, coming I would out. love to hear what the reaction, yeah, for fans who were there. To that teaser trailer, right. yeah. You know, what was, you know, like, because, you know, my experience in that line would be, sorry to mention Star Wars again, but like the Phantom Menace trailer, when that first appeared, people lost their minds But for, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming, yeah. that's true. But you I went been, to see Meet Joe Black, right, 
I'd be curious, was, was there, but I'm curious, was there that much excitement around the trailer? Oh, you see yeah. what I'm saying? Was that as much of a phenomenon? Uh, it's a very good, I would love to, yes, please leave a note on the Engage, uh, the official Star Trek podcast Facebook page with your memories. I'd love to read people's if, memories of seeing the first movie, too, yeah. whether they, you know, yeah, liked or it tweet, or hated it, how their said, uh, opinions have changed over time, because certainly mine has, like I said. Yeah. I, this cool. is a movie that I like more every time I well, see let, it. Well, let's leave it on that then um, with some fan engagement. Tweet at us. Uh, use the EngagePod uh, hashtag. You can tweet Matt Singer at, at Matt Singer. Yep. Uh, you should be reading Screen Crush every day. Check it for your movie news. Um, and Matt is uh, the editor-in-chief. He's also the principal uh, critic. He does fun videos. Um, <laughs> I guess I could bring up some of the videos you do. Well, people can just go to our YouTube channel and check them out. Okay. YouTube.com, I well, think, I slash gonna, Screen Crush. I was going to say some of the things you're notorious for in video. Oh, like when I eat horrible things, you mean? <laughs> we don't need to get into that now. Okay. Let people discover that. Right. Much as the crew of the Enterprise discovered what right. was within V'ger. There are many layers to me, much right. like there are many layers to V'ger. And, and layers, and, and Screen Crush, like the Enterprise, has a great crew. Great, you know, it's not just, yes. it's not just Singer in the captain's seat. There's That's a, right. He's got his Although own... Although my captain seat does have the wings that fold down in case there's turbulence. Right, right. He's got his own Scotty and O'Hara and, 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 and Bones. Um, and, uh, yeah, so tweet at us. Leave us a message. Uh, contact us in all those places. Um, and, oh, and if you like the show, leave a... Um, go to iTunes and say nice things in a review. If you don't like the show, don't do anything. But if you like it, leave a review on iTunes. I want to say thanks again to Matt Singer for coming by. My pleasure. We, we, the one thing you didn't say was... The article that inspired us to have yeah. this conversation will be up at Screen it's Crush, on Screen too. Crush. By the time you're hearing this, it's on yeah. Screen Crush, probably right front and center. We talked about a lot of it, but there's other stuff we didn't yeah. mention, and there's some pictures and videos. Yeah, it's yeah, really... Yeah. It's it's, a com it's complementary to our conversation. It's, a com it's, it's what inspired... I knew that Matt was doing it, and I'm like, you know what? That's a great thing to talk about before the madness of Star Trek Beyond is let's go back and look at the first movie before we look at... I hate, it's probably the last movie for a long time. You think so? I do. And that's not a bad thing. But I think that um, Star Trek Beyond is the the last... It's a trilogy. It's a trilogy. I don't... I think the Kelvin timeline will, will be three movies. Um, uh, you know, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know this for sure. But, and then... Well, at least we'll have the Melvin timeline down the right. line to, to carry forward. <laughs> right. So 14. It'll be 14 movies. And then eventually it'll come back to movies. I mean, much like eventually it came back to TV. You know, right. it's in the... Or, you know, the next... It'll be a, it'll be like Pokemon Go. It'll be on alternate reality. Who knows what the next thing it'll will be? It'll be like the feelies. In, Maybe um, the next Star Trek you will you will experience through a belt buckle that has no belt <laughs> attached to it that you wear on your torso. Belt buckle if we're lucky. All right. Well, listen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. 